So maybe there'll be more anointing this morning, I don't know. <coughs> but yeah, it's the joys of living at home, not living at home. Um, uh, amen, I was meant to be here, sorry, uh, John prayed in the prayer meeting for Alice and, and for Aaron, um, but we swapped, so I'm, I'm going down to Worthing weekend um, and I'm here this weekend so sorry if you came thinking you weren't going to get me and now you did sorry never mind um, this morning I want to uh, look at the this theme that God doesn't do repeats God doesn't do repeats um, one of my favorite tv shows as a child was the a-team and I remember the a-team yeah if I remember the a-team uh, did anyone see the attempted remake of the a-team the film was it as good it was all right, right, but it wasn't as good as the original. Didn't quite have the same magic. And uh, my other favourite TV programme as a child was Thunderbirds. Um, do you remember Thunderbirds with the little puppets that used to go? And they attempted to remake that as well. And it was still good, yeah, but it wasn't as good as the original, was it? Right? There wasn't. It wasn't. There was something groundbreaking about both of those TV shows. Right? There was just something that just had a magic about it that even though you might try and recreate it, it was still, you know, still, the story was still good and the special effects were still good and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't quite as good as the original. It wasn't quite the same. And I believe that God has got a word for us this morning, which is that God doesn't do repeats. God doesn't do, uh, God does new. God does new. He does things differently every time. And although we love to often rely on formulas, um, on things that we know have worked in the past, or we love methods that are tried and tested, uh, or we quite like to follow routines that we're comfortable with, God wants to challenge us this morning that he doesn't do the same thing twice. God does things differently every time. And are we there? Good, we're back on. Um, that God wants to do an entirely new thing. And I want this morning, I want to look and illustrate this principle from the story of the life of Moses and uh, his leadership of the people of Israel. So if you're going to grant me uh, a bit of time, I want to read quite a bit of scripture to you to start this morning um, so I can really bring out the story of what I believe God is saying to us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to start by reading from Exodus chapter 14 verses 10 to 16. And we're going to do three different accounts from Moses' life. Um, so it's Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. And uh, this is the story of the people as they've left Egypt. They've, they've, uh, the ten plagues have come and gone and they've, sent out, they, they, they've been released from Egypt and they're heading out into the desert. And of course they encounter the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are behind them, the Red Sea's in front of them, and they suddenly realise they're, they're in a bit of a pickle. Right? Behind them are the Egyptians who are either going to kill them or take them back. And in front of them is a river, you can't, a river that can't be crossed. And so we pick up 14 verse 10. It says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in this desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, uh, deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea 
on dry ground. Just read that last verse again. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Okay, so that's the first reading we've got. And then a couple of, just, just a couple of chapters later, um, I want to read the next story. So they've they got, we know the story, don't they? The Red Sea parts, the children of Israel go through, the Egyptians uh, get washed away in the middle of it. Um, and then they go on, uh, they have in chapter 16, there's this story about the manna from heaven, and then we reach chapter 17. <coughs> and, uh, and this has obviously just only happened a few months later, so they've already seen the salvation of the Lord. But let's pick up Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. It said, And the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. And they camped at uh, Repidim, uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us children and to make our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered, Go in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place uh, Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarrelled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So I just want to just reread uh, verse 6 and where God says, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for people to drink. So you see again, uh, and we're going to go to our third reading, our third reading um, and our third story. Now this happens quite a bit later, probably somewhere in the region of 30 years later, but it's a very similar scene. Uh, we're going to read from Numbers chapter 20 um, and we're going to read verses 1 to 12. Um, and it's a very similar scene, um, slightly different place, but a very different, uh, very similar story. Um, and so Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 12. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the, devil, the, the, the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarrelled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring out of the water rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the presence of the Lord, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, we, must we bring you uh, water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. So you've got three stories. And I don't know if you were able to spot some of the similarities between those stories and then one key difference in the end story. So the first thing we see about these passages is that there was a similarity. There was a problem, right? The problem was they were in trouble, right? So in the first situation, they, were, they needed the salvation of the Lord. They needed God to do something for them, otherwise they were going to get killed by the Egyptians or, you know, or that was what was going to happen, right? In the second situation, they were, again, they were out of water. They had no water to drink. And if you're in a desert and you've got lots of livestock and millions of people and children and animals, you need water. And so, of course, they had the same problem. And in the third situation, exactly the same thing happens again. They don't have any water to drink. Uh, and so they've got a problem. So in all three situations, we see a problem. We also see another pattern, right? What did the children of Israel do in every single one of those stories? They moan and they look where? They look backwards. In every single story, they basically complain and say, why did we not, why did we leave Egypt? Why did we come out into this desert in the first place? And after 30, 40 years in that last story, you would have thought they would have got it by now, right? That God will take care of them, right? But they still don't. They still look back and somehow believe that where they come from, even though they were slaves and they were beaten and they were oppressed and they were building bricks and all the rest of it, somehow it would be better for them to be back in Egypt. So they spent a lot of time looking back. So we see that's the, third, the second thing that's the same. What's the third thing that's the same? In every single one of these stories, what does Moses do? What does Moses do? Oh, before we get there, before we get there, Moses, every single time, he went and he got before God, didn't he? He seeks God. Every time, it's the same story. Problem, moaning, Moses is under pressure, what does he do? He goes, to, he goes to God and says, God, I'm in a bit of a mess here, we need your help. He cries out to God and then the fourth thing happens, right? The fourth thing's the same in every, in every story is this, that God gives him an instruction, right? In every, in every story there's a problem, the people moan, Moses goes to God and then God says, right, in order to solve the problem, do this, right? Do this. The first three things are the same. The last thing is slightly different, isn't it? Because in the first, in the first situation, what is, he, what is he told to do? He's told to hold up his staff and lift up his hand, right? So you imagine he stands there, right? It's like in one of those films, like, like, like Yoda with, the, with the, you know, the thing lifting out of the water. You can imagine him parting the waters, right? So he stands and does that. In the second story, what does he do in the second story? What's he told to do in the second story? Smack the rock. So he takes the staff, right, and he smacks the rock and hits the rock. And either unless he was a great man of power, right, or just the Lord moved, right, out of that came water gushing out. Okay? And in both times, the Lord was pleased. But then there's one slight difference at the end of this last story. And what is it? It's this that God gives him an instruction. And what's the instruction he says to him? Speak to the rock. Don't lift your hands, don't hit it. Speak to it. But what does Moses do? Instead of speaking to it, he hits it. He doesn't listen to what God had said, right? What he does is he hits the rock. And you see, what you're seeing in this principle that we're looking at this morning is that God does it slightly differently every time. Have you notice that? 
God does it slightly differently every time. And I want to look this morning at the principles of why God doesn't do repeats. You see, we love as people to look backwards, don't we? It's a natural tendency to look backwards. Right? That's what the people of Israel did. They kept looking back. They kept looking at where they'd come from and they kept kind of thinking about all the things that had gone wrong, you see. But we right, tend to always find ourselves looking back, don't we? I don't know about you, but when I'm under pressure, right, I dream of the old days. Right? I, when I grew up, I remember some of my best times being sat in John and Ruth's back garden, right? You probably, do you remember this, right? Sat around your back step, right? They were, they were still old then, right? Okay. Um, and me and Gemma and Pat and some of the others, we were probably about 15, 16 at the time. We'd all sit around and we'd laugh and we'd joke. And somehow, life back then was simpler. I don't know if you get that feeling. Like life back then was simpler. I had less problems. It was easier. People kind of, it was just, I didn't have all the trouble and all the stress and all the anguish that I had today. And you see, that's our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is always to look back at where we've come from. That's just who we are, right? It's just, it's just in us. It's innate into us to always look back. And when we encounter challenges or problems or situations, our natural tendency is to do what? It's to do this, right? It's to go back and repeat what worked for us last time, right? When in doubt, when under pressure, what we'll do is we'll try and repeat the successes of previous years because in previous years, life was better and so what we need to do is we need to try and just go back to what we did before and if we can get back to doing what we did before, then maybe we will reap the success that we desperately need in this situation. But I have learned this principle from the Lord. The Lord doesn't do the same thing twice. He does it different every time. And that's really irritating as normal human beings because the trouble is, is that we like to take control of situations and do things the way that we know how. And it's much more difficult to rely on God for what we have to do in this moment than it is to just look back and say, that worked before, I'll try and do that again. A few years ago, like probably about 10 years ago now, we took on organising a, um, uh, it was a young adults conference called Passion for God. And some of you would have gone to it. Um, and the first year we took it on, we took some big risks. We moved the venue. Um, it was going to cost us a lot more money. We tried to, we moved the, um, we did all kinds of things. We changed the format. We did everything differently. Um, and we really sought God for it. And we really prayed and we fasted and we prepared. And you know what? It was amazing. God moved, it was powerful, it was exciting. Things were happening. You had this sense that God was moving. And, uh, and then we kind of did something similar this sort of the next year, and it was, it was quite good the next year. But then the third year, right, the third year was nowhere near as good as the other years. The third year was nowhere near as good as the other years, you know. And it felt like the conference was a bit flat, and it lacked energy, and it wasn't as good. Um, and, and I looked and I thought, well, what, what, did we do, what did we do wrong? You know, so to talk about the next year, right, what we've got to do is we've got to try and we've got to, you know, get back to maybe doing some more praying and fasting and we've got to try and, you know, replicate what we did before. We looked at what we did and said, right, maybe we weren't intense enough, maybe we weren't focused enough on it, maybe we just need to get on it. And you know what, right, it didn't make any difference. We prayed and we fasted and the year after it was, it was good but it just wasn't quite the same. 
And I, you know, I learned something in that moment. You know, I really learned something, and I've, I, it's been repeated to me many times over for all the things I've organised, is that just because something goes amazingly the first time round, you can't look at what you did and try and replicate what you did to generate the same success the next time over. Yet you can in the natural, in a kind of very natural way you can, right, you know. But in the spiritual, you can't make God move. And there's often that thing that God does, isn't there, that only God can do. And you're thinking, Lord, we we did what we did last year and it hasn't quite worked out the same this year. And I learned in that moment, I really felt God kind of spoke to me. It's been a principle that I've been learning ever since, which is this. Is that you can't, God doesn't do repeats. You have to find today what God is saying for you today because it's no good trying to repeat the successes or what brought you the successes in the past. You have to discover again for what God is speaking. And I really believe, I don't know about you, and I suppose this morning is a bit of a word to the church because I think this is something God's been pressing on me uh, for, for quite a number of weeks, maybe even well, months really. And I, I believe that God wants to do a new thing in our church. Who believes that? Yeah, everyone says amen, don't they? Amen. And I believe God wants to do not just a new thing in our church, but a new thing in in our group of churches and potentially even in our nation. I believe God wants to do something new, which builds on the foundations of the past. But this is the difficulty. We cannot find the new of God today by trying to recreate or reimagine the old. Right? And what I mean by that, and everyone always says, oh, well, we want the new thing, yes. And everyone says, amen, we want the new thing, until suddenly you start challenging those things that we do in the church that we feel are very important to us. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. We can't change that. Or we can't do it. And that's what it's like in our lives. It's like we want new, but what we want to do is we want to do the things that are comfortable to us or the things we're familiar with. And But what God often does is he says, I'm going to do it a new way and in a new method and in a new approach. And we have to get before God and say, all right, God, I'm willing to go with you on this. All right, I'm willing to trust you that you are going to bring about the new thing. But the difficulty with the new thing is it requires us to leave the old things behind. It's great, the theory of new. Everyone loves the theory of new, but like with the A-team, you, in the end you, can't, you can try and recreate the glories of the past by getting someone that looks a bit like B.A., but it's just not B.A., right? He looked the same, right, a little bit, but he just wasn't the same. He didn't have the attitude, right? There's something that God wants to do, and I want to look at why it is that God does these things, right? Why is it that God insists on doing things differently every single time? What are the principles? Why is it God does that, and how do we respond? I said, this is my first principle, right? God doesn't share his glory. God doesn't share his glory. What do I mean by that, right? So Moses was under pressure, wasn't he? Again, right? Every time, Moses is always under pressure. They're always criticising Moses' leadership. And every time there's a crisis, they turn on him. Even though they've seen God deliver them many times, okay, they still love to blame Moses, now, Moses, in this last story in Numbers, chapter 20, is getting old, right? He's been doing this for like 40, 50 years, right? He is getting fed up with them, totally and utterly fed up with how flipping awful they are, right? Okay, again and again and again, right? They will not listen, they will not learn. 
and so he's exhausted of it. And it says, doesn't it, in, in Numbers, uh, it says, he gathered Aaron and the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, right? Listen, you rebels, you, you naughty, bo- you, know, you, you, you know, you terrible bunch, right? We, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out uh, and the community and their livestock drank, okay? What does he say? There's a key little word in here that Moses uses that is where all the problems right, for what's going to happen to him come. And it's this little word, we. We will do it, right? Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Hang on a second, right? I didn't realise that Moses had the ability to bring water out of rocks, right? He doesn't, does he? Right? He's only able to do it because God enables or works on his behalf. Okay, and in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praises with carved idols. What Moses was doing was basically saying, I'm fed up with you lot, I'm going to prove to you, right, that I'm a good leader, that I'm going to take control, that I'm going to deal with the situation, it's on me. And God said, hang on a second, I don't share my glory with anyone. And because of the fact that you didn't honour and glorify me, I cannot give you the blessing. You know, we are not, this is the, this is the thing, right? We are called, you and I, to partner with God. Right? We are called to partner with God. But this is the key, not because he needs us, right? I, I've realised this, right? I used to think that I was God's gift to God, right? That I was somehow his great anointed one that was somehow amazing and that God was, God, you know, to be honest, when God created me, he was really thinking to himself, yeah, good job I created Tim. It wasn't going to be possible without Tim, you know. No, it's like rubbish. God can do exactly what he wants. God doesn't need me, but God wants to invite me to partner with him. Why? Why does God want me to partner with him? It's because he wants me to be able to enjoy and relish and be part of him revealing himself. He wants to show off how great he is and he wants you to stand by and watch. Right, Joel, in Joel's situation, right, now maybe I, I don't, you know, I've talked to Joel a little bit, but I bet Joel isn't telling that story, or he certainly isn't to us in public, about how amazing his faith is, right? The story, the, the outcome of Joel's story is not, he goes around thinking, yeah, God, man, I'm good, aren't I? I must be so anointed to preach in India that the Lord just had to make it possible for me to go. That's not the outcome. But Joel's reaction to that story is this, God is amazing, and I've just watched him do something that only he was, could do. And it's, it's just, it's made me just love you even more. And that's what it means to partner with God. Right? It's not us being the necessity. It's us enjoying God moving. And Moses took it onto himself to do that. And, and he's ruined it. Now, my, my father-in-law, he, um, uh, my father-in-law, Peter, Helen's dad, he was at the 1966 World Cup final at Wembley, right? What an amazing thing to have been able to see and watch, right? But he'd be a fool if he went around saying, yeah, it was because I cheered. That's why they won, right? It's because of the way that I shouted and I was encouraging them. That's the reason they won. He'd be an idiot if he said that, right? His involvement had nothing to do with the outcome. 
But he was part of that story. He was there in that moment. He witnessed all the greatness of England finally doing what they should have done many times since, right? Okay? Right? And it may be the only ever time it ever happens. Who knows? But he was there in that moment and he still talks about it. What a moment. What a minute to be in that place. And the principle of why God does it differently every time is this. Is that he wants you and I to be there when God does it and we're like, man. That is just, that's just blown me away. How did you do it? You did it differently. Because you see, if we can do it ourselves, then we can steal some of the glory. Ah, oh, you know, I know, and Moses did, I know how to get water out of the rock. What you do is you take the staff and you hit it, and out it comes. Doesn't, who, who gets the glory? Moses does. Because Moses knows how to wield the stick. But when God does it, if he'd spoken to the rock, the people would have said, God does it differently every time. God is amazing. I want to tell you a story. I read a, um, a story in a book called Dirty Glory, um, which is a fantastic book um, about prayer from Pete Gregg. And he was telling this story, uh, and I'll tell you just because I love this story, right? It's a girl called Susanna, and she was really seeking to reach, uh, it was in Switzerland, a little town in Switzerland um, called Thun. Ever been there, Erin? No? Okay. And uh, God told her, she's a real warrior, prayer warrior, real woman of God, really wanted to reach this people. And so she, she felt God had told her to buy an apartment in the, city, in the, in the town centre. But the problem was, is it was really expensive, and she couldn't afford it, right? Right? And she was going to struggle. But anyway, she managed to, you know, um, you know, by cutting down all of her, you know, expenses, she managed to just about be able to afford to live in this flat. And, um, uh, you know, she'd lived there for a couple of months and she got invited. She went off to a conference um, to pray. And while she was away, uh, a friend of hers called Rebecca uh, was staying in, in her house. And Rebecca was doing whatever she did. Um, and she went one morning to the cleaning cupboard right and she opened the cleaning cupboard and in this cleaning cupboard there was just like literally thousands and thousands of French, uh, of Swiss francs all over the floor right and, and she was like this is weird right you know like I don't remember seeing these these things in here before but maybe they were you know or maybe you know Su Susanna keeps this stuff in the thing anyway, so she piles up this money um, and she sort of stacks it up and so she she phoned her friend Susanna and she said you know, why, why did you leave the money in the, in the closet? And Susanna's like, I didn't, didn't leave the money in the closet. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about anyway. So, you know, she gets home and she examines this cupboard and she looks, and it's a true story, right? It didn't happen that long ago either. She looks in the cupboard, she's thinking, there must be a hidden compartment somewhere that, you know, the previous tenants have kind of, you know, hidden money and it's fallen out of. But she looked everywhere, couldn't work out. There's absolutely nothing in this cupboard and couldn't work out. She thought, well, it's a weird way for someone to try and give me money. And, you know, the only people who've got the key is me and Rebecca and Rebecca doesn't have the money that kind of money to give away so it can't be the case and so she just you know scratches her head and just thinks well you know it was, it was half a year's salary this amount of money and she thought well well I mean the Lord's provided anyway so sort of suddenly you know, two or three days later um, you know she's cleaned out this cupboard and checked it everywhere anyway she opens the door three days later and what does she find on the floor a 200 franc note now she's properly freaking out now because she knows, right, that she did not leave a 200 franc note on the floor. She had been through this cupboard, she had checked it, right? And so she was really starting to freak out now and she was thinking to herself, this is, this is kind of, you know, this is crazy. Anyway, uh, the next morning, you know, she opens the door and she's with a friend and what does she find on the floor? 
a 200 franc note. At this point, she just picked it up and gave it to her friend and said, I don't need this. You know, the Lord's just providing. Suddenly, all her friends want to come around and visit, right? Okay, and they're all trying to visit her house and they're all checking the cupboard out. Anyway, 11 days later, right, she's, she's talking to a friend. Her friend's come around. They've checked out the cupboard. There was nothing in it. She's sitting there. She makes a cup of tea. They're chatting over a cup and suddenly she hears a rustling in the cupboard. Opens the cupboard door. It's absolutely full of money. 13,800 francs. Right, in total, over in just less than a month, it was 28,000 francs on four separate occasions. Right? Right? That is what the Lord can do, right? But in that situation, right, no one's thinking to herself, Susanna, she's really a woman of faith. She didn't have a clue what was going on. But what do you do when you read that story? You think, the Lord has given his glory. The Lord has shown his kindness. The Lord has shown his goodness. You see, and when we take control of the situation, when we try and manage it, we are stealing God's glory away from him. God wants to do something different for us in the church here. God wants to do something different for you in your life. But the way that you will discover that is not by trying to repeat the same old things that you've done before. It's about seeking God for something new. So this is my first principle, is that God will not share his glory with anyone else. The second principle is this, is that obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. All right? Moses made a big mistake, didn't he? And his big mistake was really simple. He was given an instruction and he didn't do as he was told. He was given an instruction and he didn't obey. He didn't obey what God had said. Joseph, I've realised in my own Christian life, is that I often, without meaning to, feel that somehow by sacrifice, I can somehow leverage God or persuade God or pressure God into doing what I want him to do, right? So if I'm really devout, if I really get down and I pray for three days and I pray and fast for three days, God will have to listen to us. Maybe that's just me, right? But, I, you know, like, yeah, or if I, if I, sometimes I think to myself, Lord, if I spent more time praying and reading in the morning, maybe I'd be more spiritual and there'd be more power on my life. Is that just me? No, just me then. All right, okay. Um, <clears throat> right? Or if I do something great, if I do something bold, if I go out to India and like, you know, do something amazing for God, then God will really bless me and God will really use me. Do you know one thing I've learned? None of that matters. What matters is simple obedience to God. Blessing follows obedience, not sacrifice. Right? It's a really important principle to learn. I've got, Pat and I have got a friend, uh, and he's an elder in another church. He's a much older guy, and he's very wise, and he's a very godly man, and he really loves people. He's a, he's a fantastic guy, actually. But, you know, he openly admits that he is not, right, a great reader of the Bible. And he isn't. He said, I don't find praying very easily. He doesn't pray a great deal, to be honest, right? Okay, he says he doesn't even like going to church very much, right? But the Lord kind of keeps him going, right? So he keeps doing it. But you see, he is a man that is incredibly wise. I'm talking about Mike, right? He's a man that's incredibly wise in the Lord. And when you know him, you know there's something special about him. But you know he's learned a secret. He's learned to see he's in a church that's full of like really spiritual people, like super spiritual people, people that have travelled the world and done all this. But he's come to realise this, that all he needs to do is he doesn't need to be praying for seven hours a day. He doesn't even necessarily need to pray for half an hour a day. All he needs to do is what the Lord has told him to do. 
And he's discovered that secret and his life is a tremendous blessing to so many people. And there are so many Christians that are trying so hard to copy somebody else. If I'm more devout, if I'm more holy, if I'm more this, if I'm more that, then somehow God will bless me. And there are people here this morning who need to find a release from being what they are not. And just be who you are. Pat is not a reader, right? Okay, Pat does not love to read. He knows that I love to read because he buys me books, right? Okay, but the Lord is not going to not bless Pat because he doesn't read lots and lots and lots of books. Even though great spiritual men will stand up and say, oh, beloved, the key to really going on with the Lord is reading lots of books. You have to do what God has told you. You know what I loved about Joel's story? It wasn't intense. It wasn't, was it? It was just a simple, I, I, I haven't got to try and get down and pray and fast that God would provide. All I've got to do is just, I know God's spoken it. It's like what Karina was saying last week. He knew that the Lord had spoken it and he just let it be. And the Lord has provided and there are many people here this morning that need to get hold of that. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings. I love this, the way the Lord is speaking. I can just imagine. Go ahead. You know, the Lord is saying this. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices. Eat them yourselves for all I care. Right, is what the Lord is saying. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. He's saying to them, you can add all the sacrifices you like, but in the end, what matters to me is obedience. And you and I may think that we need to do great things for God. And one of the, I, I speak to us as a church here, right? right? We have a little bit of an identity of being hardcore, right? It's kind of something, you know, we almost take pride in being committed right and being willing to kind of you know tough it out because that comes from my dad right my dad's a, my dad loves to be hardcore right okay let's be super hardcore let's do a let's do a prayer meeting on a, on a, on a bank holiday you know yeah just because we're going to do it right because we're super committed right and one of the challenges that we need to be careful of is that we don't see just doing being hardcore as somehow a value it's about being obedient to what god says that matters that's the key for us as a church Amen? That's the second thing. Uh, is the second thing is this. Um, <clears throat> obedience is better than sacrifice. The third is this. Blessing is more important than the outcome. The blessing of God is more important than the outcome. Do you know what's interesting about that last story? What's interesting? He strikes the rock, and instead of nothing happening, what happens? Water comes out. And what happens to the people? The people are what? The people can drink. The people are blessed. Moses disobeys God, does exactly what God doesn't want to do. God's very upset with him, says to him, you're not going to go into the promised land, which must have been devastating for Moses, who's walked with God and loved God for 50, 60, 70 years, close, he's seen God face to face, and then God says, you're not going to complete the task for which you were created. It must have been devastating. It must be so hard for God to say that. You see, but we often think, don't we, that success is the definition of, good, of, of something that's great. But it's not. It's not. You know, you can do the wrong thing, still get a good outcome, but we miss the blessing of God. And I believe this is something that we really need to get hold of. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says about the church in Sardis. What does he say about the church in Sardis? Any great Bible scholars? You have the, I know your deeds. You have the appearance of being alive, but in actual fact, you're dead. 
You know, we can have all the success. We can, we can run programs in the church where people come in. We could do great, great evangelism programs. People could even get saved. And yet we can miss the blessing of God. And you know, God is looking not just for us to get success and outcomes and results. What God is looking for is obedience to him and faith to do what he says. And that's, and that's really what I believe God is saying to us this morning. It's not, we mustn't chase after success or outcome or results. What we have to chase after is obedience to God. So that's the third thing. The blessing is more important than the outcome. And I want to finish with this. This is the fourth principle. All right? God's intention for you and I is that we become men and women of faith. Moses was a man of faith. God wants to make you, Chris, into a man of faith. Right? A man of faith. God wants to make you, Chris, <laughs> into a man of faith. Moses was a man of faith. You see, we can walk in the natural. We can do what has come to us in the past. We can repeat the things that we've done before that will hopefully bring us success. Or we can begin to live as Joel is beginning to live, as men and women who live moment by moment being obedient to God, looking and moving in faith and saying, I believe that even though I cannot see it, when Moses knew, he knew that if he struck the rock, God was going to do it. But he didn't have the faith or the patience to believe that if he spoke to the rock, that God would do it. You see, God does it differently. God wants to make you and I people that move by faith. Now that means, that is, and you know, it's such a difficult life to live because really what it requires is for you and I to be in tune with God the whole time because we're not looking to problems, we're not looking to something of the past, we're not looking to what we've known and what we've done before. We're saying, God, we want to hear you speak today. Now Joel may or may not go to India next year. That may or may not be the right thing. But I'll guarantee you this, Joel, it won't be the same this year as next year. And maybe next year the Lord will say, if you want it, you've got to get down and pray and fast for it. But if you just sit there and wait and say, oh, well, the Lord did it last year, he's going to do it again this year, you might find yourself flat on your face. No, I'm not being mean, Joel, I'm just saying, you know. <clears throat> because this is what the, God, the Lord loves to do. The Lord loves to make us people of obedience and people of faith. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this for us as a church, for us in your own life, that God wants to make us people who obey him and believe for what is not possible? For what, is, for what is not kind of seen. I met with a friend this week um, for a cup of coffee. Um, and he is a, he's a great young guy, good Christian. Um, he's got a lovely house. He's sorted his house out. He's fixed his house up. It's great. He's got a lovely godly wife. He's got a good job. Um, he knows his role in the church. It's clearly defined. And, you know, as we sat and talked, I challenged him and I said, you know, wh where's, where's the risk? And he said, yeah, I know, we're just so comfortable. We're so comfortable. There's no area of my life where I see the risk or the opportunity for God to move. For the thing that, you know, for God to do what God wants to do. And he is, you know, credit to, the, credit to him, he, in his, in his own heart, he's saying, Lord, I'm willing to let you disrupt my life. I'm willing to let you disrupt my life. I'm willing to let you mess it up right, and move me into something new because what I want is to be where you are, not just living in a comfortable place, repeating the same old thing again and again. And I'm going to be honest about us as a church this morning, if I may. I think we as a church are too comfortable. Right? I think we're too comfortable. Right? I don't mean that to be negative. I don't mean that to be unkind. But we are very good 
at doing church, aren't we, Aaron? Right? We know we get here at 9.15. We know the team. We've got a rotor. Everyone knows their responsibilities. Everyone comes and puts the chairs out. Right? We can sing the songs. We all know most of the songs, yeah? Apart from when someone chooses a random one that no one knows, Simon. No, I'm joking. No, it was only me that didn't know it. But, the, um, you know, we know what to do. You know that I can stand up and I can preach. If it's Pat, you might get an hour. You may be an hour and a half. You never know. Right? But we know what to do. We come to prayer meetings. We know what we're going to do. We know the same thing. We do the same things again and again and again. And it's not to decry that. It's not to be negative about that. But what I'm believing in my spirit is that God wants to move us as a church into something new. Amen? He wants to move us into a new place. But the difficulty with that is we cannot look back at what we've done before and say, well, maybe if we rehash the old thing, we'll get something better. Maybe if we just spend more time praying and fasting, if we sacrifice more, if we get more intense, that God will do it. It won't work. What we've got to do is start praying. And I, I really want to encourage you, and, and maybe if you would, if you would stand with me at this point. If you would stand with me. Let's stand together as a church as we just respond, as we, as we close this morning. Is that God, I believe, wants to make you and I and this church a people of faith. A people of faith that say in their hearts, I will do, Lord, whatever it is you ask me to do, however silly it looks, however crazy it looks, and I'm not going to try and just reinvent what I know has worked in the past. I'm not going to try and rehash or repeat what God has moved on from. And I just want to challenge us, and as we just start to open our hearts before the Lord right now, I want to challenge you. Are you willing to let the Lord do a new thing? in your own life? Are you willing to let the Lord do a new thing in the church? Are you willing to throw out the rule book, as it were, the playbook, and say, God, you've got to do it again. Lord, you've got to do it again, and you've got to do it in a new way. Because when it's done in a new way, we will all stand back and we will say, God, it's your glory. We can't claim that we knew what we were doing. Lord, we can't try and copy the church up the road, Lord, or someone else somewhere else. Lord, what we have to do is we have to find your word for this place today. We have to find your word for us as people today. Lord, we believe that you want to use us, Lord, to partner with us, for us to see you bring about the salvation of many in this community. Lord, we believe it in our spirits, Lord, even if we struggle to believe it in our heads. Lord, we believe that you, God, want to do amazing things. Lord, but we recognise that some of that is, Lord, realising we cannot go back to the old ways. Lord, and it's so difficult and it's so challenging, it's so hard because we're so comfortable with what we know. But these things are so precious, these things, we know how this works, this, this is what God really blessed before. Lord, give us the courage in our own lives to step out. And I want to ask you guys this morning, will you say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I will let you move me into an uncomfortable place. I will let you move me into a place where there is an opportunity for you to show up. When Joel said and declared he wanted to go to India, even though he didn't have any money and he didn't know how he was going to get the time off, he moved himself into a position where God was able to move on his behalf. And I want to challenge you this morning. I believe the Lord is challenging us. Will you move your life into a place where God can move on your behalf? If you've got it all under control, if you know everything that's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, if you've got it all tied down, that you are not making space for God to make you into a man or a woman of faith, of obedience to him. Lord, we want to respond. Our hearts say yes this morning. 
Our hearts say yes to you, Lord. Yes, we want to be people, Lord, that when we, that they come and they, they enter this church, they say there's something of God about this place. It's not just that these people have got it together, that they know how to play a good worship set, or they've got a good guy that can preach well, or they're welcome and their coffee's fantastic, Lord. That's not what we're about. What we're about is your presence, Lord. Your Holy Spirit coming and moving, Lord, and bringing us into a place where we are seeing, hearing testimony after testimony, week after week, of examples of you moving on our behalf. Of you setting people free who you looked at and you thought that's impossible, except but God. Will we say that this morning in our hearts? And I want us to just to take a moment as we finish the end to say yes. And everything in us needs to cry yes to the Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm willing. Yes, I am willing for you to move me into something new.